sometimes a flashy, like just perfect Apple style rendering just delivers no emotion in that context. It's better to just grab my camera and it can be a really raw, grainy photographic prototype and it's going to be more effective. Welcome to Play and Conversations, the podcast where we delve into the world of design and explore the endless opportunities that await designers and brands. I'm Simon Martin, Head of Content Strategy at Play and Co. And joining me is Jason McKinney, Senior Designer at Play and Co. Together, we'll be your hosts as we embark on insightful design conversations that inspire and inform. Jeremiah Baker is an award-winning designer, storyteller, and design educator. He's the founder, owner, and creative director of Normal Objects, a marketplace dedicated to small batch production of enduring and limited objects. I first met Jeremiah at Samsung Design America in 2013, where he was a senior designer and I was embarking on my first internship. I absorbed everything I could from him before he went on to work at Logitech, Google, and Peloton. We were way overdue for a catch-up, so I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Jeremiah. Uh, it's so great to have you on. Uh, you know, Jason gave me the background. Uh, you have Nike, Samsung, Logitech, Google, Peloton. Uh, you've got so many companies under your belt, and now you're doing this normal objects uh, project. Can you uh, give us a rundown on your design background and how that's led to uh, normal objects? So um, I guess we'll start professionally. So yeah, pr first professional experience would have been Samsung and that's where my paths crossed with Jason. So I'm gonna frame this as things I learned at each of these experiences and sort of things I left and how that kind of has formed what I want to do. And I'm just doing at this point in life and normal objects is a manifestation of me at this point in life. So I think uh, Samsung was first corporate experience post art center. I graduated at a rough time, actually it was 2008. It's very similar to where we are right now. If you're a graduating person in industrial design, uh, pretty hard to get a job, landed that one in 2009. Um, and that was a straightforward studio doing lineup projects. And it was a time when uh, we're pretty heavy handed in mobile consumer electronics. So we're doing anywhere from 10 to 30 phones a month, just piping them out of a pipeline. So I think then from there, I went on to more of an incubator studio, strategy studio, which is uh, where I actually met Jason. And that was, you know, bringing in all the best of Silicon Valley into the mix of just brass text ID and got a little more strategic point of view. So I think my biggest takeaway from Samsung was this ability to fail fast and like saturate and refine. I think they're masters at this, of getting, like being the first person to market with something and they don't obsess about making that perfect. And they iterative refinement from there happens really fast and then they dominate. And there's something to be said about that if you're practicing design at a, at a corporate level, I think pros and cons. I think they're really good at what I would say micro innovations versus macro innovations. They're not reinventing the wheel, but they're finessing the wheel <laughs> and optimizing it. So you're putting that wheel in every car. I could hop in here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, I definitely, that's funny kind of digesting that and hearing it from your perspective. Cause I came into Samsung design America as a, it was my first internship uh, 10 mm -hmm. years ago. And I, I came in with a, in a room of like four other interns It was a brand new kind of like market disruptor studio. But mm -hmm. yeah, it, 
it really was kind of this experience of innovation from like our level and not from like, you know, vision from the top and briefs. It was really like pull, pulling together multiple minds. The, there was great days where uh, we'd get paired up with like a senior designer, an engineer and uh, maybe a researcher and then a junior designer or an intern would be on a project and we would do like day long sprints, but really like really great ideas and great storytelling and a lot of like, you know, failing fast um, kind of happened in that studio. And I was only there for four months and I learned a ton from you. Um, yeah. I recently ran into Howard Nook and uh, nice. <laughs> he, he gave me some perspective into like how he paired me up with you. It was actually, yeah. I thought it was like, just so I could like learn from you, but he told me he was challenging you to like learn how to be a mentor. And I think you yeah. fucking crushed it, dude. Yeah. I learned so much <laughs> about like, yeah, the value of um, in that environment, uh, creating like a great image and simplifying your storytelling and yeah. how much impact, you know, that curation, which I, I've seen through kind of your experience over the years, um, kind of really uh, drove some successes that you definitely had in that studio. And uh, it was, that was kind of one of the biggest learning experiences that I've taken with me on all of, all of my like journey. Um, totally. Yeah, that was, it was a cool studio. It was a really unique time there. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, you were, that was my first experience from having been in their first attempt at a, a state style studio in Los Angeles, moving into San Francisco and being around these great minds bunch of exposure to brilliant engineering and all of these things coming together. I felt though an application, there was something to be desired in application after you put all this stuff together, like where you could take it and getting that sell in and buy in from the, the leadership of the company at large. Um, so by contrast, you look at like Logitech and my experience there, I feel like I learned a lot about developing products, about understanding needs and a lot about being a product based company. Like Samsung balances very focused goods around mice and peripherals um, was Logitech at the time. And then they had acquired UE. So it's just very focused product categories, delivering great product experiences. And that's what I took away. They were obsessive about every detail. Object-based form storytelling. We worked with a lot of agencies early in the days because I, w I went on to Logitech when there was only three designers. It was in 2015. There's only no three ID folks in the company and there's our director. So we worked very close with non-object a lot. Like the leadership was tenured IDO folks. So I really saw this other side of strategy, storytelling and just like telling stories through objects and really delivering value, nailing that value proposition. So I think Logitech does this amazingly and that's only evolved to they're a really strong product company as is Apple is a premium, I'd say product company. They're their software is equally good, but Logitech is definitely a product company. Yeah. I think um, one thing that I, I have an entrepreneurial spirit, so I would always be torn in these roles. You have to really be in it to feel it. So if you're not really risking anything, you're not bringing the energy that like, hey, we're putting it all on the line. It's a simulated risk. It's a calculated risk, but it's not real risk. So I think it's, it's hard every time you try to force entrepreneurship in a corporate context with all these fiscal responsibilities, those things don't line yeah. up. And for me, it was, it was very polarizing. I was like, wow, there's a lot of reasons why this isn't genuine. Um, and that actually yeah. kind of birthed the desire for me to want to pursue. Like, okay, what does it mean when you're really risking it and go and pursue entrepreneurship? Yeah. Part was that around the time when you started uh, thinking about normal objects? Totally. 
Yeah. Yeah, that was there, I had been I'd had this thing in my head. I didn't know if it was going to be fashion or lifestyle, but I wanted to do something. And there's all of these success stories that you hear. And I was like, all right, what is that journey really like? So actually after um, Logitech is when I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I left, left tech, left Silicon Valley, went back to LA and started like 20, this 2016, I kicked off normal objects. Uh, and what it was then versus what it is today is very different, but it was all of a sudden having these well-resourced teams that you're used to, to, oh man, this is all on me and not me and a business partner or anyone like it's all on me. Yeah, and that, that brings, <laughs> this brings different <laughs> challenges to the table. Uh, I could, I'll circle back on that, but like, let me just run through the rest of kind of yeah. uh, my, my resume, verbal resume here. So I think from there, I did my own thing. I was also teaching at art center at the time, which was to date. One of the most rewarding parts of this level of where I'm at is giving back mentorship, like helping and extending an arm to people who are trying to pursue and move forward in this career space. Um, so I did all that. And then Google had been slowly, they've been reaching out to me for a matter of months. And I was, I told myself I'd never go back to corporate and ended up doing like three more corporate gigs after that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was, if you're going to do something, at a design-led company, that's also a really great company where you, it's super well-resourced to almost do anything. At least that's what you hear, right? Like this is a place where you can do damn near do anything. If you're gonna do another foray into corporate, why not Google? It's like, all right, I'm sold. Let's do it. Uh, what I took from them is they're really good at artful storytelling. Like if you look at their process videos and just the design story they tell leading up to a product launch is executed really well. The design team is top notch. I have not met more talented designers than I came across with and interacted with at Google. Um, an obsessive quality for detail and just refinement. I would say these are all the amazing things. And you have every resource. Literally, if you need to go to a shop and build something and have an engineer help you, they'll do it that afternoon. Yeah. You know, G4, Surface, five axis CNC, you get it the next morning. I saw so many amazing experiences and products and amazing thoughts. If you have an experience like that, I would advocate for it time and time again. We'd like to take a moment to remind you that Play and Conversations is brought to you by Play and Co. If you want to explore more about design opportunities, discover new insights, or connect with Play and Co. for a design project, be sure to visit playandco.com. Jeremiah, you bring up storytelling a lot in, in, in when you talk about your approach to design, which is great because that's the theme of this episode is uh, storytelling and object. Clearly with, with Samsung, Logitech, uh, you know, you've worked on consumer products, um, but then if you go to normal objects, um, which is your newest enter enterprise, um, it's, it's a lot more simple, I would say wabi-sabi in a way style mm -hmm. objects. So what is a common denominator, uh, a common thread that you've noticed, whether it's a, a smartphone from Samsung or a handmade tableware piece uh, that you have on your shop? Uh, what, what, what is that storytelling DNA that, that you've held on to uh, throughout your career and, and, and what you identify as being a good object with good story? So I think um, I will 
So I'm going to put a pin in that. I'm going to circle back in that, right? I had one thing I, that was already in my mind I wanted to talk about with Peloton, and I think it actually it's a red thread to what you're talking about here. One thing I saw at Peloton, and you wouldn't expect it because it's a very tech-driven company, it's I like to call like one-to-one -one relationships, right? Where there's an input and there's an output. And I think this is what makes a good product and tells a good story. Like person wants to do something and this object has to be a vehicle for that. And it shouldn't be a million steps to get from here to there. And I think that's a good object. And it's, it's, it also works contextually. That is what inspired me to want to do normal objects. So you look at Peloton, right? It's really complex, but it's made super simple. You yeah. do an activity, you get a reward, you have a community. It's one to one. Whereas a lot of the products I was working on in tech where you have this object, it's 60 layers removed from the experience. And that experience in itself isn't very connected to the user on a human level. So I think delivering one to one things, a human does this, they get this back. It's easy to understand. And it's that one-to-one -one relationship. So I think that kind of answers the, yeah. where you're going. Yep. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say something about you're kind of getting into how the Google experience kind of that, uh, that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, not having, you know, the decision-making really leverage the amount of opportunity and freedom and space to like create ideas. It's, it's interesting. You know, Samsung felt like, you know, we had that, despite being a market instructor studio, you still had to like package it up, send it over to Korea and somebody kind of offline made decisions. So you had to, you had to design for that, contexts in which things would be presented and decisions would be made on them. But Samsung had like the resources to just pump out stuff constantly and be first, like first or fast follow or kind of like test four versions of something in the market before Apple decides to kind of curate it down to one. Mm -hmm. And then Logitech, you know, you're talking about how they want you to act like a startup and they've got the resources, but in the end, they still need to like, ha like that's such a competitive market and peripherals and things like that, that mm -hmm. like they, they still have to kind of whittle down to a best bet. So mm -hmm. there, there is some constraints and it feels like that's kind of the middle ground. But, you know, when, when you're at like a place like Google, I, I would imagine they're knowing that it's like that it must feed back on you eventually with your ideas and kind of beat you down like you you come in there hot and have great stuff and it doesn't land anywhere or it just stays mm -hmm. in this open space that nobody ever sees and never gets tested in the market is mm -hmm. is probably a really really interesting um kind of experience to go through because I, I feel like what I've what I, how I've seen normal objects from like the early days when you were running it yourself and it was this you, you could feel the energy in it and the curation and sticking to like ideals and having control over that. And now it feels like you're allowing that for other designers. And it is kind of this one to one relationship you talked about with Peloton is just super interesting. It, it makes me want to like you know, pull some of these ideas that I'm stewing in my brain and bring them up towards you and try to go into like some small batch, small batch production. But that, that like that output or that, um, kind of release for a designer to bring even, even a smaller, but like well thought out idea to the world, um, outside of the confines of, you know, business and kind of corporate life is, is just really, really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is really what it's about. At this point in my life, or you could say my career, I'm just passionate about trying to design delight into everyone's everyday, right? And I think the a good touch point is an object. And when you talk about storytelling, there's a million object stories that Google, and they were all beautiful. 
And then these things got in the way of people experiencing them. So how do I take the the notion of what I'm doing with something and without any of those other friction points, just deliver it to, to an audience and then also galvanize community around that so I can help other people tell their stories. And that's that's the focus of normal objects today. Yeah. From an object, like you're gonna ask an industrial designer, what's good form development? And, and how do you do this? And all of these questions. I think for me, it's straightforward. There's, there's only one way I approach this and it's context before archetypes. I think it's dangerous when you start from archetypes. So I, someone asked me to design a chair and then I go look at a thousand chairs. It's like, this is what a lot of designers do. I've taught at Art Center uh, foundational coursework, recently just taught a high school course here at my high school alma mater. This is what happens. You go, where's my inspiration? I don't know, the amalgamation of every mood board ever. Let's start there. And if, for me, it's like, nah, <laughs> um, I think you look at the context. Okay, so what does it do? It needs to support human weight, or at least that's what most chairs do, comfortably in this use context. And then th that literally could be a band hanging from the ceiling that's elastic and you just stretch into it. And this whole form archetype that was there is gone. That's always yeah. where I start. And I actually very intentional about throwing out existing archetypes and trying to uh, start fresh. That's what I seek to do with every normal object is remixing like these age old archetypes. So yeah. yeah. It may be a coffee mug, or maybe this, or maybe that. What story can we tell here? Is there a new yeah. way to grab it? Is there a new way to interact with it? Contextually, is there a new way that they exist in space? And just you know, play those things out across as many object archetypes as possible with a focus on objects for living and increasingly home, being at home in your sanctuary these days. Yeah. Yep. When, when, it, when, it, when it comes to story, um, Jeremiah, and uh, just product development and innovation period, whether it's, you know, something from Samsung, Samsung or Peloton or uh, anything with small batch manufacturing, um, like what you're doing with normal objects. I just want to bring up this quote that we all know um, is uh, when asked about customer input in the development of the Ford Model <laughs> T, Henry Ford famously said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. So, Absolutely. So tell me, at, at one point, are, are we designing and innovating for um, a specific story that the audience wants to hold on to versus creating a new story for them to hold on to? Uh, I think it's, it could be either, right? Or it could also be somewhere in between. I think it's more about the experience and this word's overused, right? But it, what, so I believe in this thing called like design feeling. If you've always done something a certain way to elicit a, a specific feeling. So does it make sense if you're trying to create a new feeling attached to this experience, is a new way of doing that sensible? Or is it a refinement of the old? I think sometimes we always try to completely reinvent something and it may just need to be a 10% change, but everything else around it reinvents. So I love the Ford example. I think that that's awesome. I think sometimes ID folks can get in this notion that the object has to be the thing always. I think uh, there's several examples where we were working on products and the way that would have revolutionized and made it all of a sudden relevant where it wasn't before was every service and touch point around the product with just like a 5% shift to the product itself. But like, how does someone access it? How do we unlock this for a whole new segment? You're not opening new molds. 
sustainability, awesome. You're already doing positive things. You're not doing something just for the sake of doing it. You're not making a polarizing shape that nobody can relate to. So it's like, how do people relate to this? What can we use that's already here, right? And then how do we actually reinvent everything around it for a new experience? And I, and I love this. Um, quick, complete tangent into left field. I'm also super obsessed with things that are handmade. Uh, and I love where handmade, you know, intersects industrial and what we've been able to do through industry. Um, I think, yeah, of course, it makes sense to do things if you're talking about mass production, use machines and assisted machine things to do things. So there's a beauty, and I'm talking about one-to-one -one transfers, the energy that this person put from their hands into this object is now transferring into your space when, when you bring it there. Um, but yeah, to, to replicate that, now we need machines. Uh, so yeah, maybe this is all over the place, but that, yeah. I think all of these things kind of mash up with one another. Yeah. You kind of went where I was thinking too, it's like that, you know, energy and, and value, you know, looking at mass production, like the objects, I think like we looked at growing up and looked at in, in design school. And, you know, my wish was always to like design something like I have a, an old brawn alarm clock uh, on my desk, like <laughs> these things that like get made and, and the yeah, sick in <laughs> like the, the, the thousands and thousands, but then they, they never leave, you know, a surface because the, mm -hmm. there's value in the simplicity that, there, there's a story behind this that, that comes out and builds more value for the product, but there was a, an amount of energy that went into kind of whittling that down to its necessary parts. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like when we see this a lot with our, our clients that we work with is like, you know, that's the world has changed with social media and the way we, we like look at and start to place value on objects and new products. It's often driven by like the storytelling through Instagram targeted ads, you know, through influencers showing how they're used, like the way they're placed. And it's not so much like the, the same type of value, uh, you know, like Samsung and Apple could get away with uh, for mass produced products. Like you, you need to have this kind of more human storytelling element. Um, and I think like one of the things I've watched just in normal objects from the early days, like you're now like doing video, you're doing like tons of content, at, like you're almost like a director, more than just like a creative director, you're more like a director of all of mm -hmm. these different types of storytelling touch points outside of the product. And those, I, I think, bring the value in the conversations that people want to have around that product, even mm -hmm. if it is small batch. But like, how, how have you kind of seen, you know, uh, that kind of formula work for you? Is, is it that the content and that that story really brings that extra value in the absence of mass manufacture in some ways? Or how, how do you feel about kind of working in this way versus you know your previous experience? I think I think these are all it's like language, right? So is it you go to school to become more learned in a language? You go to you do viscom, so you learn how to communicate to clients more effectively. Okay, these are the new communication tools of this age to connect with people today. I got to use them. Um, but then if you're using these communication things, what value are you trying to communicate? So I think it forces you to be clear on the value. And for me, the value is people. It's more of a, you know, coalescing around something as a community story and then letting that same community support the creatives in that community. And that's where you're bringing in all the business side and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, how do you, what is special about this thing? Absolutely nothing is special about it. 
uh, what's unique about it? I don't know. The person that made it's pretty unique. We did stuff with a lot of intentionality, but no, I can't do that 15 second, you know, slider bar thing. That's going to be one of a bazillion ads you get in the next 10 seconds and tell why is this new chair breakthrough? I also don't elect to play that game. I think the, the audience that understands it is who I'm talking to. I don't want to be forced to, <laughs> I don't know, just dilute something to fit into a format that it wasn't designed to. Like we do, we do all of these things with a lot of care and consideration. I want to be fully transparent about the person who is working on it with us. And I approach collaboration super genuinely. It's not, hey, I'm going to license and put my logo on something. No, I still get my hands dirty. We co-design and we're meeting over Zoom every week. Like these are nice. real collaborations. It's not licensing. Yeah. Yep. So each each kind of journey, each product is is different. And you know, like that that value comes from that exploration. More more like art, but it when it really is about people, like that's like we that's an innate thing that we're all drawn to is these these stories of the energy you've put in and the thinking, the conversations and the work that gets done kind of builds the, the lore around something. Mm -hmm. And when it's yeah, when it's delivered in a, in a like small small batch format like it you you build in that like um uh scarcity that also creates you know more value so it's it's really interesting to kind of see you go from these previous experiences into having to walk that line but you know it's interesting that each each journey is kind of unique in its own way and it lets you kind of continually evolve and approach each kind of new you know product release appropriately and as a totally. collaboration and simplicity is, is very hard it's it's hard not to do something and again every time i go foray into something i'm doing it at risk it's it's not a big money backing behind me so yeah. scarcity happens naturally as a byproduct but the i think the intentionality is more about okay what are what i do have analytics i can draw on i do have information across like six years now it's like, what are people actually responding to? I think these are where technology tools are super useful. If you're not retargeting and saturating someone's inbox every five minutes, I think that's kind of bullyish. But it's like, all right, clearly people love the way this image looks. People love this story. What about it can we do again? Or, whoa, we're noticing a huge shift in culture this year. I think humans, like, I always try to look at something fundamentally human. Yeah, I think humans need to touch, like it's tactile. So for now it may be, okay, everyone wants these artisanal goods made by clay workers in the mountains and that's cool for this month. But I think like larger than that maybe is that they need to see, feel and touch. And this this is something I experienced like firsthand when I moved. So all of us were, were dealing with what happened in, in COVID, right? And that narrative, we're all very familiar with it. But what that did yeah. to our psychology is pretty profound. And I came like out of that thinking, you know what? We were already removed from our target community by being digital, just an online only experience. And then that was amplified with the pandemic. So the first thing I wanted to do when I was able was like, all right, how do I bring everybody together? And I want to see how that contrasts, how they interact with the website. So I did the exhibition and that was just, you know, proof positive. It's an overwhelming response to when things are in person, seen and felt, and someone else is there experiencing it with you. It's just like almost exponential emotional impact, exponential, sorry, emotional impact, and the ability to tell stories in three-dimensional space. 
yes, we have all these digital tools. You can make stuff amazing. You can put on a headset. Again, I'm going to go back to the one-to-one -one thing. Like people want to get there and feel it. Just boom. This is why we love movies. Yeah. This is why it's always weird when you're watching a movie with the 3D glasses. It's like, it's an amazing experience. It really brings you in, but man, this is weird. Um, so yeah, I, that's what I took from the, the exhibition was just like, man, this is amazing. Like talking about levels of energy, just excitement, dialogue, ways of people meeting people was just so natural and so amazing. So yeah, th today it may be, okay, people want more handmade things. People want records, analog versus digital. Eh, if these things can be replicated digitally, maybe there's a future for that. But I think as tale as old as time, there are certain objects even still today we've used for centuries. And it's just my hand needs to apply this force to make this thing happen. And that's the reward. Yeah. It's always interesting, like, you know, coming up through Art Center as like Instagram was really taking off and, you know, watching an online portfolio can just be an Instagram account these days and an Instagram oh. following, like a good Instagram following, even if you get it while you're still at Art Center, can like guarantee you jobs because you're a known entity. Watching like AI take off and like the the value of like the right image has like that whole equation has changed because mm -hmm. the energy to create that image has changed. And I think people are like going to get tired of that pretty quickly. And I think you can see it, but there's also like a certain percentage of the population will always be drawn to what's the next new image mm -hmm. I can see in front of me, but that's not your customer. And there's always, there's always going to be a customer that, that, what's the value on, you know, something new and to do something truly new and simple takes uh, like 10 times more energy than to do something not new really quickly. Totally. Yeah. I yeah. I think too, just back on, if we're going to hone in on that, uh, storytelling point, I think there's another element to, okay, there's the object itself and there's everything around it. So those are all the experiences, but like the visuals surrounding it too. So I, like just me personally, I get a lot from photography because it's a forced mechanism to tell a story through an image, more specifically through light. So yeah. I was like, whoa, when I, I wish in design school, half of my courses would have been photography classes. And they're just saying, look, tell the story of this object with light, paint with light. Yeah, It's huge. And then the emotion, is it warm, cool, dark, shadow? All of these things play into, okay, what image am I going to use for Instagram today? Like, what's the mood? Are we going to do diffuse light? It's softer, more human. It's inviting. We want sharp contrast for impact and the feed and people see it in their polarized. But those tools, I think, are under understood in industrial design. Yeah, they, they show up in key shop. It yeah. doesn't mean you have command of them because you can replicate something. I think having command of those and being able, this is what I want this thing to do specifically is, is hugely valuable. And I've had collaborations with, with directors. I have a lot of friends in film and it's for this reason, like I'm blown away by someone's ability to tell the story with even just no words, just an image. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I, I definitely want to have as a red thread throughout normal objects. We're evolving it. Things you'll see in the coming months will be a little different, but it'll still be consistent. I got one last thing I want to throw out because you just okay. reminded me of like one of the most important lessons I ever <laughs> learned from any like senior designer. And like I went through three internships was like one of the lessons we sat down with when we were creating those <laughs> uh, some posters to like show off a concept we um, I've oh, been helping yeah. support you on. Yeah, and it was uh, 
the lesson you taught me was to like at a certain point you you know you've used Keyshot, you kind of uh, you know you've grafted a product into uh, like an existing photograph to show it in context. But at a certain point, you got to like take a step back and look at the image for the image, not for the energy you already put in to create it and really like feel free to edit it, treat it like a photograph and tell the story, manipulate the light. And it was like one of the simplest things was like duplicate it, throw an overlay layer, change the <laughs> opacity until it just punched more and it yeah, carried yeah. more weight. And like that's been one of the things when I'm just creating sketches or a sketch render. And I know we're going to put it in front of somebody. It's like, take a step back at the end and like, is this really communicating what I want to communicate? What simple stuff like a photograph can I do to edit this so that it really punches the way I need to? And, you know, I took that to Boeing. I took that to Tesla. I took that to Adidas, you know, like it, it, that kind of lesson has helped me throughout the years. Uh, so it's cool to see you like getting into like, you know, motion and like a real studio photography and all that. It's yep. just kind of evolved and evolved and evolved for you. It's invaluable. And I, I got that from photographers and just sitting back and watching what they do in, in conversation with them. I think it, it, it I think it comes down to emotion. How does yeah. it make you feel if you're telling stories? Humans have loved stories. OK. Emotion and stories is memory. Right. So, OK, I have a nightmare story. I'm going to tell my kids by campfire. They're going to remember it forever. Why? Because they feel horrified. So it's like, what's the feeling attached to the story you're trying to tell is almost more important or equally as important as the story. So in an, sometimes a flashy, like just perfect Apple style rendering just delivers no emotion in that context. Yep. Yep. It's better to just grab my camera and it can be a really raw, grainy and photograph a prototype and it's going to be more effective. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I recently moved back uh, out of Portland up near where I went to high school and I'm like, I've got this thing in me at this point where I want to go, you know, I want to go back to my high school or um, even the the even closer one that I didn't go to and like try to find some students who know that they can be creative for the rest of their life. Um, and I, I think uh, I'm probably going to go do that now because of, of the words you've said today. That's been that honestly, that that's the most exhilarating feeling for me and what it does for me professionally too is like my language with the let's say the younger folks is like 10 15 years removed so when i start speaking my old school design speak they're like what are you talking about like i have to learn to connect to these people and i from education like i get that you have to take a complex subject and break it down in ways okay this is how i learned it and they're like oh, we don't care at all like, how do I make you all attached to this thing yeah. to where you care? How is it relevant for your your life yeah. today? So I think yeah. that is useful for when you're trying to, okay, that can escalate up to a client presentation and they're trying to connect to Gen Z. It's like, yeah, well, these are experiences I get like 30 kids at a time every week. Yeah. Um, I think it's hugely helpful to, to me. Yeah. Cool. I have one final question for you. In the history of storytelling, which uh, some call communication technologies, a few major events and trends that sort of affected that. We had printing, we had telegraph and telephone, we had photography, motion pictures. Now we have mobile media, social media. Uh, from, from, from your vantage point as a accomplished designer and creator of objects and curator of objects, uh, if you had any piece of advice for somebody starting out, maybe they're, they're new in their industrial design career 
or maybe they're launching a startup with a new product. How can anybody essentially bring storytelling to their object? And 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 what's what what would you say is just the most important thing they should focus on when doing that? If your audience is a human being and you want them to connect to something, like being decided and intentional about what you want them to connect to. And I think no matter the medium, it's the tone of voice that lets the story go through. So what's the tone of voice visually, uh, the copy you're using in that, you know, post or whatever, but also the light, like every, don't take any element in that nugget for granted. Every piece of it is a way to tell a story. And what's that message being super intentional and you're connecting to a human being at the end of the day. You're not looking, oh, I want this thing to sell. It's like, eh. That's the wrong intentionality. If you're, you're really honest about the intentionality, I think the message will will show through. Yeah. I mean, this is being super straightforward. It can't be underestimated. Look at cave paintings. Like we're going back tens of thousands of years and all they did was say, hey, this is my life day to day. It's a really powerful message. That's all we need to do today without the fluff. There's so much fluff. I could go on a rant, but. <laughs> if you want to continue the conversation, share your thoughts or suggest topics for future episodes, be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn at PlanCo or visit planco.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And until next time, keep playing, keep designing and keep pushing the boundaries of what's next. This is Play in Conversations, signing off.